You can find a seat this morning, and if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab that Bible, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 today. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. And we want to make sure that everyone can follow along in God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. If you are ready to dive into God's word today, would you say amen? Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse number 1 where the Bible says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful ones in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace." For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject. Who are you, really? Who are you, really? Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we can come together and celebrate your name. God, you are worthy of all of our praise, of all of our worship. And God, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified and honored in our time together today. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with everything that's said and done in this service and the services to come today. And Lord, I pray that as we look to this text in Ephesians chapter 1, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work and illuminate this text for us and show us exactly what it is that you have for us. God, I pray that we would not just simply be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word as well. Lord, I pray that we would have a better, better understanding of who we are in you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning... How many of you at the 9.30 service this morning enjoy bowling? Can I see your hands? You like to bowl? How many of you would say, not that, not that into bowling? Anybody like that? Okay, a few of you. Uh, a few years ago, I was preaching to our young adult ministry, and I came across this uh, video of this bowler in a professional bowling league, and uh, he uh, won the tournament, and he had this celebration, and I thought it was interesting, and I thought I'd bring it for us this morning to check out. Strike to claim it. A strike to claim it. Now, if you missed it, he said, who do you think you are? I am. And I love how passionate he is about a nonsensical statement. Like, what did you even mean by that? Who do you think you are? I am. Now, I'm not sure why he asked that question, but the reality is, and the truth is, it is a good question. Who do you think that you are? Who are you really? Back in 2015, dictionary.com voted in the word of the year to be the word identity. 
because there was a heightened awareness of gender and sexuality and race. And so that was the word of the year. And here we are in 2023, and that conversation hasn't gone anywhere. As a society, we are still searching to try to figure out who we are, and we are still struggling to try to figure out who we are and who we were created to be and really what this is all about. And I find it fascinating that in a society where individualism reigns, that we often don't know who we really are. There was a former Supreme Court justice, his name was uh, Anthony Kennedy, and he said this, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence. To define one's own concept of existence. And that's exactly what our culture is doing. We are trying to define our own concept, our own idea of our own existence. The problem with that statement is that it, of course, leads to moral relativism where we can just kind of do whatever we want to do and be whatever we want uh, to be, and we are busy defining our own concept of existence, what we think uh, that we should be. But I have good news for you today. If you are interested in discovering who you really are, that the Bible, God in his word, has so much to say about who we are. And I love the book of Ephesians because the book of Ephesians has so much uh, rich theology and so many practical applications as we study this series. We're going to learn about what the Bible has to say about marriage and the home and so many practical exhortations. But uh, the book of Ephesians is also a note to self because the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing and he is reminding the church of who we are in Christ. He's reminding us of what our identity actually is. Now, to give us a little bit of context as to this letter to the Ephesians, uh, I think it'd be appropriate to understand uh, how we got this letter. Well, all the way back in Acts chapter 19, uh, there was a man named Paul. He was an apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christ. And he was going throughout the region of Asia Minor, and he was starting and planting different churches. And in Acts chapter 19, he goes to the city of Ephesus to start the church of Ephesus. Now, in the ancient world, uh, Ephesus was one of the five major cities of the Roman Empire. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, you had Corinth, you had Antioch, and you had Ephesus. And so Paul goes to an influential city, a major city in Ephesus, and he starts this church in the city of Ephesus. Fast forward about 10 years, and Paul finds himself in Rome in a prison cell. He was arrested for preaching the gospel, and while he's there in Rome, he decides that he's going to write a letter back to the church that he started in Acts chapter 19 in the city of Ephesus. And what he does is he gives that letter to a man whose name was, watch it, uh, Tychicus. That was his name. That's kind of a fun name to say, uh, Tychicus. And so uh, Tychicus, he took that letter, and he went and he delivered it to the church that was there in Ephesus. But something interesting about the letter to the Ephesians is that it was meant to be a circular letter by nature. In other words, uh, the application for the letter to the Ephesians was, a bro was broad by nature. It wasn't just meant to stay with Ephesus. It was meant to be uh, to all of the other churches. It was to spread around. And so something that makes the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, unique is that Paul was not confronting or addressing one particular heresy like he does in some of the other epistles. For example, when he writes to Corinth, he's addressing certain problems and questions in the city of Corinth, in the church of Corinth. He does the same thing to the letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, he does the same thing to the letter at, uh, to the church at Colossae, uh, confronting certain problems. But Ephesians, he's not correcting certain heretical doctrines. He is reminding us of who we are in Christ, and it's a broad uh, letter by way of application. Now, uh, to kind of get our feet wet a little bit, let's jump into verse number one and see what uh, Paul has to say as he begins this letter. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, in its most simple definition, the word apostle simply means one who is sent 
one who is a messenger, one who's commissioned. Paul said, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, watch this, by the will of God. Now, this is significant. Paul said, I am not an apostle by the will of men. The disciples did not pick me. My colleagues did not select me. I was not selected by a committee. I was chosen and selected by God Almighty. Aren't you thankful today that God selects what man rejects? And God's ability to use you is not contingent upon man's affirmation of you. Uh, Paul said, I am an apostle by the will of God, not by the will of men. Let's keep on reading. He says this in verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Now, the word saint is an interesting word. It has a much simpler biblical definition than you might think. Uh, The word saint simply refers to someone that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior. That is a saint. Now, this is different, and a lot of people get confused because, uh, for example, in Catholicism, there's a much more lengthy process to become a saint. Uh, And and to be a saint is uh, is reserved for a few select people. In fact, uh, the dictionary defines the word saint this way. A person acknowledged as holy or virtuous and typically regarded as being in heaven after death. And so according to the dictionary, to be a saint, you have to be a near-perfect dead person. Okay, those are the qualifications uh, to be a saint. But the Bible teaches that the moment that you placed your faith in Christ, you are a saint. And so the next time someone asks you what you identify as, you can say, I identify as a saint. And if your name is Nick, you can say, I identify as Saint Nick, okay? And uh, that is according to a biblical standard. And so uh, he is writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, to the believers in Ephesus, to the faithful ones that were there in Ephesus. Notice verse number two. It says this, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a typical Pauline style of greeting that he would give to the churches. Grace be to you and peace uh, from Jesus Christ. Now, something interesting happens starting in verse number three. Starting in verse number three, Paul begins this beautiful exposition and this wonderful celebration of who we are in Christ and, and what Christ has done for us. And Paul is so excited. From verses three to verses 14, what we see is that in the Greek text, it's one long continuous statement. It's one sentence. And so it's as if Paul is so excited to talk about our riches in Christ Jesus. And he's so excited to talk about our identity in Christ that it's almost as if he can't catch his breath and he just keeps on going because he is so excited. And so it's a beautiful section of scripture. How many of you have ever visited the Grand Canyon? Can I see your hands? You've been to the Grand Canyon. I've been to the Grand Canyon a few times. I think when I was younger, I I didn't fully appreciate uh, the Grand Canyon. I think we have a picture this morning of the Grand Canyon. And, uh, uh, you know, when we see the Grand canyon we are reminded of the power and the majesty of God and I love this image because many commentators refer to the book of Ephesians as the grand canyon of scripture because the book of Ephesians tells us and reminds us of the height and the depths of the love of God that he has for his children and so today what I want to do is I want to dive deep into the first few verses of the book of Ephesians and what I'd like to do is I'd like to give us three ways, I believe, in which we should view ourselves in light of God's word. Not not viewing ourselves in light of what the world says, not viewing ourselves in light of what culture says or even how we feel, but how should we view ourselves in light of the word of God? If you're taking notes today, number one is this. We have to see how blessed we really are. Can I tell you today that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are blessed beyond measure? And Paul is going to begin this letter by reminding us of how blessed we are. Notice verse number three. 
It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I want you to notice the source of our blessings. Where did our blessings come from? Well, it says that God has blessed us. And so everything good in our lives comes from above, that God has blessed us. So often in life, it's easy to concentrate on our burdens. But every once in a while, it's good to celebrate our blessings. You know, we live in a blessed society, even from a physical standpoint and from a materialistic standpoint. Uh, We are uh, blessed beyond measure. And so often we can complain about little things and we can complain and have some first world problems. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you go to McDonald's and the ice cream machine is broken, right? You were waiting in that line just for ice cream and you show up to the window and the machine is broken. Has that experience ever affected anyone today? Yes, I I feel your pain today. And uh, sometimes we can complain about uh, little things and trivial things temporary things, but we have to recognize how truly blessed we are in Christ Jesus. He says that that, that God ha- has blessed us, and, and so we bless God because he has first blessed us. Now, in verse number three, he starts by saying, blessed be God. How do we do that? How do we bless God? What does that look like? Well, to bless God means to praise him and to thank him and give him the honor and glory that he deserves. Uh, this is what we might call doxology. Doxology is a pattern or formula for blessing and praising uh, our God. And I believe that good theology deserves good doxology. In other words, I believe that when we consider how good God is, and when we consider how great God is, and when we consider how many blessings he has bestowed upon us, we should come into the house of the Lord and lift high the name of Jesus Christ. And just like the psalmist that says, bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Let us forget not all of his benefits. Can I encourage you today to not forget all the benefits that God has bestowed upon you? Uh, We are blessed uh, beyond measure. And so I want you to see the source of our blessings. They come from God. But then I want you to see the substance of our blessings. Uh, What what is the substance of our blessings? Notice in verse number three. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen? Verse three. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Now, in the Old Testament, God would often bless in material ways. You followed him and you would receive an inheritance. You would get land, perhaps, or some sort of monetary reward. But here Paul is not talking so much about a physical blessing as he is a spiritual blessing. Now, you might be disappointed in that. You might think, well, I'd like some physical blessings as well. Uh, But can I tell you that the spiritual blessing is far greater than the material blessing? A new heart is far better than a new car. The, the, the spiritual things that God has bestowed upon us are far greater than the material things of this life. Uh, one author put it this way. He said, if we only care about the material things of this life, then we are on the same level as the animals of the world. Because an animal exists to eat, sleep, entertain themselves, and to reproduce. But can I tell you that we are made in the image of God, and he has called us and created us for something so much higher than simply to eat, sleep, reproduce, and entertain ourselves. He has called us to a high calling and a holy calling, and he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in all heavenly places. Now, you might be wondering, well, what are those spiritual blessings? If God's blessed me with so many spiritual blessings, then what are they? Well, can I tell you that 
For one, we are blessed with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives within you. Would anybody say today, I'm thankful for that spiritual blessing that I have access to, for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, that I don't have to do life on my own. I can be filled with the Spirit and I can operate with His strength and with His power and not my own. I'm also thankful that we have the inspired, infallible Word of God uh, that will guide us and that will lead us in our lives, that we don't have to just make up what we want to do and guess what we want to do, but we can look to his word for uh, uh, for uh, doctrine, for instruction in righteousness. I'm thankful for the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I'm thankful that we have a home in heaven when we die. I'm thankful that uh, we don't have to fear death because we have the gift of eternal life. Aren't you thankful that when we die, we know that we have a home in heaven awaiting us? I'm trying to communicate to you today that we are blessed beyond measure the spiritual blessings in heavenly places so often we can focus on the physical things on the material things but the but the things that money can't buy those are the things that jesus provides in your life the peace the joy the satisfaction the fulfillment the, the spiritual blessings in high places i remember several years ago uh, actually when i was in college uh, i went and visited the philippines and I was going to be in the Philippines for about a month, and I was going to be traveling to some different churches. And before I went to the Philippines, I asked my dad, who was kind of helping orchestrate this trip, I said, am I going to have to speak at all while I'm in the Philippines? Uh, at this point, when I was in college, I was a freshman. I didn't, I didn't really uh, uh, preach. I never really preached before. didn't really speak publicly at all. And so I asked my dad, am I going to be speaking or preaching at any of these churches? And he said, no. He said, maybe you'll share your testimony, but mainly you're just going to be serving in those churches. And I thought, okay, great. And I remember showing up to that first church that first Sunday, and I showed up to that church, and there was a big sign outside that said, welcome, Matt Chapel, guest speaker. And I realized that I had to write a sermon in about the next five minutes. And so I literally got out a piece of paper, and I just started jotting things down, and I preached about a seven-minute sermon that morning, and I don't think that it went very well. Uh, but as I traveled throughout the Philippines, I remember seeing... So many different things that really opened up my heart, opened up my eyes. You know, the Bible says that your eye affects your heart. And I remember seeing the leper colonies. I remember seeing the trash dumps where people would live and find their well-being in a trash dump. But I remember going to several different orphanages. And I remember one day in particular, I was with the pastor. And he said, I want to take you by our orphanage. And it was attached to their church there. And we walked into this room, and there were perhaps... 15 to 20 children in the room. And we walked in that room, and these, these kids had nothing. A little bit of rice every day, that's all that they had. We walked into the room, and I'll never forget what happened. The pastor said, how are we today? And all of the children responded in unison, we are blessed, we are blessed, we are blessed. Can I tell you, they recognized that they were blessed, not because they had the latest iPhone, not because they had the biggest house, not because they had the fastest car, not because of material blessings, but because of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. They recognized that they had a home in heaven. And so today, Paul wants us to see right at the outset of this letter how blessed we really are. But here's a second thought today, number two, if you're taking notes, not only how blessed we really are, but also how loved we really are how loved we really are. Now, the next few verses are some of the most debated verses in all of scripture. People love to debate these and kind of a, a tricky, complicated text. And we're not going to have time to unwrap all the nuance of 
these verses, but I do believe that if we get a basic understanding of these verses, it'll help us see how loved we really are. I want you to see it starting in verse number four. The Bible says this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so the Bible says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, to be chosen is a wonderful thing, to be chosen by God. In general, in life, we like to be chosen. We like to be selected, whether it's uh, whether it's at recess when you're younger and you want to be picked for the dodgeball team or whether you're selected for an award, it's generally a good feeling to be selected or to be chosen. I, I walked in our house the other day and my son Luke said, Dad, you've got to go to court. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you've got to go to the courtroom. And uh, I didn't know what he was talking about, but I realized that I had a jury duty summons on my desk and he was like, you've got to go to court. And uh, I remember a few years ago, I went to jury duty and uh, I made it into the courtroom and they were asking everyone what they did. And I said, I'm a pastor and I teach the Bible. And, and a few minutes later, they said, juror number, and they listed my number and they said, you are dismissed. You can go. And at first I was excited, like, all right, I get to go home. You know, this is, this is great. But as I was walking, I began to be a little bit offended. Like, why didn't you want me? You know, why didn't you select? Was I not good enough for you to be on, on the jury? And uh, in general, in life, we understand that it's a good thing to be chosen. And Paul says, here is great news. You are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You are, now, now, this is something that the nation of Israel was familiar with because they were often referred to as God's chosen people. When Jesus came in John chapter 15, verse number 16, Jesus said this, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now, the point is emphasized to express the fact that salvation is a work of God and not a work of man, that it's not about what we can do, but it's about what God has done for us, that salvation is not based on our merit or our performance or our religion, but salvation is based on the fact that Jesus Christ died for us and died for uh, our sin. And so Paul is wanting us to see how loved we really are, that God chose us. Why would God choose us? What, what did we have to bring to the table? How, how special are we that God would choose us? The reason God chose us is because he loves us. That's why Charles Spurgeon, he said, it's a good thing that God chose me before I was born because he surely would not have afterwards. <laughs> See, God chose us, but don't miss this. God chose us, but that does not negate our ability to choose him. I believe that God has given us a free will, that, that, that we can choose him. Now, there are some theologians that are good people that love the Lord, and they teach something that is called irresistible grace. And irresistible grace is this idea that God has chosen us, and we have no say in the matter. We, we can't even resist him, even if we wanted to. I don't believe that. I believe that God has given us a free will. There is another belief that is known as limited atonement, and it's the idea that God sent his son Jesus to die only for the elect, only for uh, the chosen. I don't believe that either. I just happen to believe, 1 John 2, 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, uh, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Perhaps the most famous verse in your Bible, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him uh, should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we can place our faith in him and have a home in heaven when we die? Now, it's difficult for our finite minds to fully understand the tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Uh, I've heard it explained this way. Imagine you were walking down a hallway 
and you came to a door, and above that door it said, whosoever will may come. And so you decided to walk through that door. You chose to go through that door. When you went through the door, you saw that there was a, a banquet table and a name tag with your name on it, and you looked on the other side of that door, and it said, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You chose to walk through the door, but God chose you before the foundation of the world. And you might be thinking, well, I don't really get it. That's okay. That's why people love to debate about this, okay? But, but here's what we do know. That salvation is a work of God. That salvation is not contingent upon us. And it's our job to go and tell people about the good news of the gospel message. Romans 10 says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Uh, Jesus says uh, that we are to go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Can I tell you that God has called us and created us for a purpose and for a mission? And that mission is to reach people with the life-giving and the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. The fact that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. Hey, we have something to say. And it's too good not to share. Now, Paul continues this thought in verse number five. Notice what it says. Here's another word that sometimes people get concerned by. Verse five, having predestinated, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, the word predestinated simply means to predetermine, uh, that he preordained. And some people get confused by this, but I want you to see that it says that he predestinated who? Us. Well, who's the us? The believers. Uh, the saints that were in Ephesus. And so when we see the subject of predestination in Scripture, the primary correlation is always with the church, uh, the believers. Some people believe in this idea called double predestination, that God chose some people to go to heaven. He chose some people uh, to go to hell. I, I don't believe that uh, because I believe that predestination is in reference to the church. He, he's predestined us and specifically says he's predestinated us unto the adoption Unto the adop Notice it in verse number five. He says, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, adoption is a beautiful thing. Adoption is a wonderful thing. We have many uh, people in our church right now that are going through the adoption process. And I love the adoption process. I love uh, families that have a heart to adopt because really it's a picture of the gospel. Uh, it's a beautiful picture of, of, of love. And, you know, in the first century in the ancient world, if you were adopted into a family, what that meant was specifically that you had the full rights and privileges of an adult child, okay? And so the idea was that if you were a baby, you didn't have the full rights and privileges of the inheritance of your family. You had to wait till you were a certain age. You had to wait till you were 18 or 21 till you could receive uh, that inheritance. But to be adopted meant that you had the full rights and privileges of an adult child. And so what this means for us today is if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were born into the family of God. You were regenerated and you were born again, but you were also adopted. And what that means is that you have the full rights and privileges of an adult child of God, that you don't have to wait to enjoy God's blessings someday. You can enjoy the blessings of God right here and right now. And so he says, we have been predestinated unto the adoption uh, into the family of God. This is good news. Notice what it says next in verse six. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, accepted in the beloved. Everybody say accepted. accepted. We were accepted in the beloved. Last year or a few months ago, uh, Trey Turner, a baseball player, he signed an 11-year, $300 million contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. And after he signed that contract, he 
began to play the worst baseball of his career. And uh, he was striking out. His batting averages went down, and, and it was bad. It was rough. It was so bad that fans for the Phillies, every time he got up to bat, were booing him because he was playing so bad. And uh, uh, there's a diehard Phillies fan, and he goes by the Philly captain, and he posted this video. He said, let's not boo Trey Turner. Let's give him a standing ovation every time he comes to bat. Our boy is in his head, and he needs some love. And so the next night, that's exactly what they did. They gave him a standing ovation, and towards the end of the game, he hit an RBI single. The next night, he hit a home run to win the game. And since the ovations, he has been playing the best baseball of his career. And he was so thankful for the support and the acceptance of the fans that he went out throughout the city of Philadelphia and purchased these billboards. And I think we have a picture this morning that says, thank you, Philly. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your loyalty. Can I tell you today, as followers of Jesus, that we have something far greater than a loyal fan support? We have the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father who loves us and called us. And the Bible says that we are already accepted in the beloved. This is great news today because what this means is you don't have to go searching for acceptance in all the wrong places. You don't have to find acceptance in some sexual relationship. You don't have to find acceptance in how many likes you get and how many views your videos get. And you don't have to find your acceptance in some relationship or in some bank account or in how successful you are. Can I tell you that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are already accepted in the beloved. And so you don't have to go looking for it. You can start living in it. Paul wants us to see how loved we are, that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we are adopted into the family of God, that we are accepted in the beloved, that we are loved by God. And so we have to see how blessed we really are, how loved we really are. Here's a third thought today we'll be done, how free we really are. I want you to understand how free we really are. Now, for a lot of people, freedom, especially in the context of Christianity, there's some confusion here because... Some people think, well, if I give my life to Christ, I'm actually giving up some of my freedom. And I'm going to have to be doing certain things, and I can't do certain things. And so, you know, Christianity, for some people, they don't view through the lens of freedom. They view through the lens of restriction of what I can't do. But can I tell you that if you just live however you want and do whatever you want, that's the worst kind of freedom that ultimately leads to captivity and bondage. It's like if I told my six-year-old daughter, Blakely, if I grabbed the keys to my car and I said, hey, Blakely, hey, uh, take it for a spin. You're free to do whatever you want. Have fun. That's not freedom. That's cruelty. True freedom is found in surrendering to the will of God. That there is safety in that kind of submission. Now, as we close, we're going to see in this final verse that, that we are free in Christ, but that freedom looks like two things. I want you to see what we've done today. First, that freedom looks like redemption. Redemption. I want you to see it in verse number seven of our text. Notice what it says. In whom, again, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Now, for us, redemption is a beautiful theological word. Not so in the first century. In the first century, redemption was simply a transactional word. Redemption was simply a practical word that people would use on a daily basis. See, in the Roman Empire, there were more than 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And the only way that you could be set free as a slave is if someone purchased your freedom. And if you were going to pay the fee to purchase someone's freedom, that fee was called the redemption fee. 
And so you would go in and you would pay that redemption fee and you would purchase the freedom for that slave. Can I tell you today, that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. That when we were stuck in the slave market of sin, that God sent forth his son Jesus to live a perfectly sinless life. And when he went to the cross and when he died on the cross, he purchased our freedom. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law and that he has set us free? And so there is redemption in his name. What was the cost of redemption? What was the fee? Well, verse number seven tells us, in whom we have redemption through his blood. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be set free. That's why uh, 1 Peter tells us this in 1 Peter chapter number one, verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so we were redeemed by his blood. And so what does this freedom look like? Well, we were per- our, our freedom was purchased by his blood, but now I want you to see not only the redemption that we have, but also the forgiveness that we have. Notice in verse number seven. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace the riches of his grace, that we have the forgiveness of our sins. In Christ, you are totally, completely, and eternally forgiven of your sins. This is something that we should celebrate and praise and thank God for. But maybe today you're here and you've never experienced the forgiveness of sins. And today can be the day of salvation for you. You know, I read this story recently. In the 1800s, there was a lady named Elizabeth Barrett, and she ended up getting married to Robert Browning, the renowned English poet. But before they got married, they really wanted to get married, and they kept on asking Elizabeth's father for permission to get married, and her father kept on saying no. And he kept on saying, Robert is not financially stable enough. You guys cannot get married. And he would not grant his blessing for them to get married. And so after asking and asking, they eventually fled to Italy. They eloped, and they were married without her father's permission. Well, they were happy to be married, but Elizabeth was heartbroken that now she had this estranged relationship with her father. And now uh, there, was this, there was this resentment there and there was no communication there. And so she began to write her father letters asking her father to forgive her and in hopes of forgiveness and in hopes of reconciliation. And these letters contained beautiful poetry and beautiful verbiage. And, and uh, she was writing these letters to her father in hopes of some level of restoration and reconciliation. Well, one day they heard that Elizabeth's father had passed away. And so they went to his home Uh, to look at some of the belongings. And what they found was a stack of letters. And every single letter that she ever wrote was unopened. Her father never opened any of those letters. Can I tell you today that God has written us his word and it is a letter that contains the message of salvation, that contains the message of forgiveness, that contains the message of reconciliation. And tragically, so many people have never opened it and read it. And people are carrying with them guilt and shame and condemnation and confusion, not knowing that there is freedom in the name of Jesus, that there is freedom from our sin, that there is freedom from addiction, that there is freedom from bondage. There is freedom and redemption and forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. And we know this because of his word. Paul wants us to see how blessed we are, how loved we are, how free we are. But you need to know this is for those that are in Christ. 
This is a phrase that's repeated often in the book of Ephesians, in Christ, in Jesus. By the way, that phrase is unique to Christianity. You never hear this elsewhere, in Buddha, in Muhammad. You don't hear this, but we hear in Christ Jesus. That is because our identity is in Christ. Our identity is not in a relationship. Our identity is not in a sexual preference. Our identity is not in our bank account. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. And here's the question. Have you placed your faith in him? Have you placed your faith, trust, confidence in Jesus? Because this is what the Bible says. The last verse will be done today. But the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be, what is it? In Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Aren't you thankful that there is new life in Jesus Christ? But it's for those that place their faith in him. And so that is the question that we must conclude with today. Has there been a time in your life when you placed your faith and trust in Christ Jesus? Because that's where our true identity begins. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.